Hi, you're listening to Sundays at Sherman Bible. We're really glad you chose to join us today. The following message is from our pastor, Dennis Henderson. Well, it was about 22 years ago, so 23 maybe. My girls were in high school. Denny, my son, was probably about sixth grade in middle school. And uh, I wanted to create some relationship and, and, and better, make it better in our home. I hadn't read the book Margin yet. I just knew that we needed more time. So I had this project. And I gathered around one day and I said, look, here's the project. I said, in the next 30 days, we'll start tomorrow. And for 30 days, we're not going to watch any television. No radio, no boombox or whatever they had back in those days. I mean, we're going to come home in the evenings and have dinner, spend some time. We'll be home more often, play some board games. And, uh, you know, and I said, here it is. I said, if we'll do it, I mean, the whole team, all of us, I'll give you $75 each. Of course, my girls go, whatever. And, uh, you know, but Denny goes, whoa, sixth grade, he's rolling his, I mean, he's thinking. And, uh, you know, 75 bucks, 20-something years ago, that was a little bank, you know. And he said, whoa. So I said, all right, everybody got it. We're going to build relationships. So sure enough, 30 days went by. Of course, I made sure it wasn't NFL season. But, uh, you know, we... 30 days go by, and we get it done. Everybody has nobody, no TV, no radio. I mean, it was great. We even had some time together, played some games. They read a few books. And so on the 31st morning at breakfast, I shelled out $75 a piece. You know, the girl still kind of had an attitude, but Denny, man, I could tell he was just thinking, you know, 75 bucks. I come home that evening. I walk in. I say to my wife, I said, Bill, I said, uh, where's Denny? He said, oh, he's in his room. <laughs> I go to his room. On his dresser, he's watching black and white TV this big that he got at Kmart for $72 that afternoon. <laughs> you know, it worked for 30 days. And all of a sudden, I, you know, I said, this wasn't quite how I saw this thing coming, you know. But we were trying to build margin, trying to build a relationship a little stronger in our family because I realized that, you know, if I don't, if we don't build margin... And the shortness of our lives is going to be gone. A verse that we've been working on for two weeks now, third week, it's there in your notes. You don't even have to look at it. I made it easy for you today for this one verse. Psalms 39.4. Remember, David says, show me. He says, show me, O Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. He says, and let me know how fleeting my life is. And if you remember the next verses, he says, my life is like a hand breath. It, that's how big it is for eternity and the length of, of life. And it's like a breath. It's, and it's all over. So David said, remind me how short it is, how fleeting my life is. Remind me of the end. And we talked about that last week. That If you're going to manage time, you start at the end of life, not at the front. What's happening today to manage our time. And in relationships, we've got to come back to this. We realize that life is short. And so the question we must ask is, what are we going to cram? What's going to be important that we're trying to cram in this short span that we have in life. The definition for margin comes up on the screen again. You're going to have it down by the time seven weeks are over. Here it is. It's the space between my activity, where I'm living in my activities, and my limits. Okay? It's basically this. We all have limits, and so we 
figure out what that limit is, financially, time, resources, energy, and now we're going to live our activity below that. Why? Because we've got to have a margin because in all of our lives, there's going to, something going to come along in our time, our money, whatever arena of our life is, it's going to bump us. And if we don't have a margin, it's going to throw us over that limit and our whole lives will collapse. Now there's a couple things that uh, we need to know about this whole thing. And that is this. Number one, we're all different. Number two, we're all the same. So what do you mean? We're all different. And that is what? Every DNA in here is different than the person sitting next to you, isn't it? God made us all different. So that means what? We're all going to have different limits. So that makes me smile a little. So you who are judging, worry about your own limit. You know? Because all of us have different limits. All right? That's one thing. But number two, we're all the same. And that's what? We all have limits. And we all have to create a margin in our lives because, you see, it's in the margin where real life takes place. Our relationship with God takes place in the margin, not when we're flying 110 miles an hour. And so in that margin is where God wants to meet us. And in the margin is really where salvation is found, isn't it? When you finally slow down your life enough, when you listen to God and he's spoken to you through a message or through a friend or God's word somehow, and you start to slow it down and, and trust him and what he's done that we sung about, that his blood has been spilt for you. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, remember the verse? Third week again, there's a couple of these verses I just want you to forget. Here it is, how it goes. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understandings. In all your ways, acknowledge, that means submit, recognize, yield to him, and what? He will make your path straight. And that's the whole thing. We've got to determine in this limited amount of time that I have, who will form my life? Because you see, our margins are going to be formed in our pattern of living by one of three things, and that is by culture, by you, or by God. And God invites us, hey, trust me. Trust me enough with all your heart to take my word, follow what it says, Trust that. Let me determine how you're going to live your life, your resources, your energy, your time, so that you may have a filled life, an abundant life. We're not talking about dollars and money. We're just talking about you'll find what life's all about in that margin. So trust me. Because you see, if it's up to the culture that we live in, our culture will do what? Our culture will make us focus on things and live our life so hard on, on the things that don't matter. And we work hard to try to matter, to be significant, while we don't work on the things that matter. And I want you to look around the room today, right now. Just look around. See who's around you, everybody? Nobody, some of you haven't moved yet. Your neck broke? Here we go. Turn around. All right, look around. You see what's looking around, what's sitting around you? Our people. And there's two things I want to tell you. There's only two things that you see with your human eye that's going to last for eternity. People and God's Word. Nothing else will last for eternity. Everything else, every empire you build, everything that you own, everything that you see, every creation, the world itself will totally be destroyed. There'll be nothing left except the soul of man and the Word of God. Duh. Duh. Should that be a little clue what we invest our life in? Where we put our time and our energies? Because they're all going to vanish. Ecclesiastic, take your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in a chair close by you. 
find one, reach around, grab one. Want everybody to have a Bible. This is called church. <laughs> and we read the Bible at church, okay? If you don't have a Bible, take that one home. That's our gift to you. We want you to have a copy of the Word of God, get you started. Ecclesiastes, uh, in, in, in the Chair of Bibles, page 473. This is what the wisest man in the world at that time said after he had experienced a lot of life. He says, this is what it's all about. For a man may, may do his work, and he may do it with wisdom, he may do it with knowledge, and he does it with skill. He says, but then he must leave it all. He must leave it all. And all he owns is someone else who has not worked for it. This, is, this too is meaningless and a great misfortune. What does a man get for all his toil and his anxious striving with uh, which he, he labors under the sun? All his days, his work is pain and grief. And even at night, his mind does not rest. This too is meaningless. Solomon says, man, there are people who work all their lives to gather the empire. They're trying to be significant. And they're trying to find all their resources and put it into something that's significant. At the end, they don't have the empire. It's all gone. They're going to leave it to somebody else. They're going to leave it to their kids. Going to, you know, it's going to go off to someone else. But it's not theirs. And he says, and they stay up and worry about it. They can't sleep worrying about it. What's going to happen to my stuff? And your stuff doesn't go. No U-Hauls behind the hearse. It's just, there's nothing. It's there. It's left behind. He said, that's what man's about. And so with that realization and the shortness of time, we got to figure out, like, whoa, where am I going to invest my life? And I want to suggest to you, God says, there's one thing that you've got to put it in. Highest priority of your life. And here it is for today, relationships. That's all that's going to last. Your company's not going to last. Nothing's going to last except relationships. And God says, put it there. And the first one's, of course, with him. And that's why our theme has been in Matthew 27, verse 37 through verse 40. Love the, God, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And the second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. The reason that we're talking about margin, so we slow down from 110 miles an hour to discover the fact that God wants a relationship with it. It starts with a cross, with Jesus Christ dying for us, for our sin. We embrace that. We then move into a margin of slowing our lives down to live with him, trust him with all our heart. And that we then love people around us which is called relationship he said how do you know that's what it's all about well let's go back to the original plan you want would that not be a good place to start let's take the owner's manual and go back to page one would you go back to genesis that's the first book in the bible for you uh, are very new here and you've never looked at it. go to the very first book everybody can find genesis chapter one and in genesis chapter one the story of the human race unfolds and this is how it unfolds. Chapter one, uh, uh, in Genesis uh, chapter 1, God has been creating everything. You read through there, we're just perusing. God's created all the stuff, animals, earth, vegetation, trees, ocean. And at the end of all those, he says, this is good. It is good. He comes to the sixth day, and that's in verse 7, chapter 2. Notice what he says. In chapter 2, verse 7, the scripture says, the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. 
So God creates man. Jump over to verse 15. God gets some restrictions. He said, this way, the whole thing's yours, guy. Do anything you want. Just don't touch one tree. And then he comes to verse 18. He says, the Lord said, he's talking to Adam, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable to, for him. Now, what God's getting ready to do is this object lesson in front of Adam so he may know what Adam doesn't think he knows. And that is that he may know he needs a relationship because most men don't know that, do they? You know, Adam wasn't in there. I mean, you know, I don't need any. Yeah, you do, dude. So God said, I'm going to show it to you. So what's he do? Notice what he does. Places him in a garden, it says. Puts him in a garden in verse 19. And, uh, and it says this. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. And he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each the living creature, that was its name. Keep reading. So the man gave names to all the livestock and the birds and of the air and all of the beasts of the land. So here's how it goes. Puts him in the garden. He said, this is your place. This is your hood. It's all yours. You're in charge. Anything you want to do here, it's you. If whatever you want to, all, you know, and God didn't decide to bring back all, past all the animals. He said, as they come by, Adam, you just give them a name. Adam's sitting there, and he sees a couple of giraffes go by. He looks at it, like, whoa, I never, what do you call that? I think I'll call it a giraffe. You know, saw a blackbird fly over and made a sound. I said, Hoops. So I think I'll call that a crow. And on goes all day. Saw a hippopotamus come by. He said, whoa, look at that. Don't know what to call it. Passed by, he said, Ooh, look at those hips. That's a hippopotamus. <laughs> you know? So at the end of the day, he's named all the animals. And then I think the conversation went like this. He said, uh, God, just a minute. Been here all day naming everybody. I haven't found anybody. I mean, nobody's connecting here. I mean, the gorilla won't even come around me. Monkey keeps jumping around. You know? Cat, that won't have anything to do with me, you know? Rhinoceros looks pretty ugly and mean. I don't want to fool with that. God, I don't, there's nothing going on. And God's saying, you're catching it, man. So notice the next part. It says this. It says, for Adam, at the end of verse 20, Adam, but for Adam, no suitable helper was found. No relationship, no connection. So God does what? Verse 21, most of you know it, puts him to sleep. Causes a deep sleep to fall upon him in verse 21. Pulls out a rib. Forms a woman. Adam wakes up. Sees her. And he says, whoa, man. And he says, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. For she was taken from me. And then God says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. They should become one flesh. What's going on here is not just a prototype for marriage, not that God's just creating the institutes of marriage of people coming together. That's not it. I mean, that's part of it. But really what he's doing in this whole big part of Scripture, he's showing the relationship that man needed human people to be connected together. And he found in the loneliness of naming animals that had someone. And so God lays out, creation here relationship now what takes place next chapter three you can peruse it i'm going to give you the cliff notes here it is 
Chapter three, everything's going along. Everything's perfect. I mean, everybody's happy. Animals are happy. Adam and Eve are happy. I mean, everything's in harmony. Everything's perfect. No mother-in-law. I mean, everything's going well. And then Eve's out there one day, and along comes a serpent, Satan, lies to her, gives her a bunch of lies. She believes him. He deceives her. She takes of the fruit. She eats. She disobeys God. And as God said, everything dies. And what took place that day? Everything died. Relationships died. Everything was broke. Creation now is broken. Animals are no longer friendly. We've got predators chasing each animals. We've got, we got man goes out to work. Adam goes out the first time in his life. He goes out to work the next day, finds thorns and thistles. Now he's sweating by, the, by his brow, wondering if I'm going to get it done. Comes home, there's argument because everything's broken. Why? Because Satan told her a lie and he listened, and she listened to the lie because it's been ever since the beginning and that is Satan lies that something was going to be better and of course that's his trick because according to John 10.10 10, that this thief Satan comes along to kill, to steal, and destroy. That was his plan in the garden to kill Adam's relationship with God to destroy their human relationships and it caused misery. That's always been his plan, and it's his plan today. It's the same plan. Satan has one desire for you, to destroy your relationship with God. Keep it from ever getting started, or take what you have, and make it, and just rob from it by stealing the relationship with the hurriedness of life and all the enemies that would hurt that relationship with God, and there are many. Same thing with your marriage. He'd love to destroy. He'd love to destroy parent and kid relationship. That's his desire. He hasn't changed. And if I listen to the culture around me today, it will do that very thing. It will rob from me the margin that God wants me to have for, with him and others that are eternally important. So what are some of the enemies? We'll do them very quickly, okay? Because most of you already know them. We've kind of been through here. Number one, of course, is the overload today, the enemy today of responsibility. Responsibility will trump relationships every time, won't they? Why? Because responsibility is easy to measure. It's right in front of you. You can touch it, grab it. It yells at you every day. At the end of the day, you can see what you did. I sold this product. I got this work done. Relationships, totally different, aren't they? They don't yell at you usually until it's way too long, until they're too far gone. You know, they're not going to scream at you, and they're very hard to measure, and so they're very hard to, to grab a hold of. And so the, the responsibility of relationships, you know, is, of responsibility will kill your relationships. Now, relationships, whether it's your job uh, that they'll affect, but your responsibilities come in your life, and here it is. It's your job. It's all the other stuff. School boards, Rotary Club, all the other places we have responsibility. Church. Church can flat kill relationships at home. Do you know that? That's bad press for this thing, isn't it? I mean, that's my job. But I'm telling you, if you allow it, church can kill family relationships, relationships that are very important. Well, they'll trump them every time. Responsibility trumps relationships. You see, a lot of guys will say, you know what? I know I'm working 14, 15 hours a day, but you know, someday we're going to have this great retirement and we're going to get away. My wife and I, we're going to spend time together. Someday is this going to happen? And I say, yeah, that's if she's still there. That's if she's still around. 
Here's another one. This one's going to really sound strange to you. You ready? People. People can be the enemy of relationships. I thought relationships were about people. Overload of people. Okay? So, let's think about it. Are you ready? I want you to think of all the relationships that can get overloaded. People overload in your life. That actually comes to hurt your relationships rather than make them right. Here we go. Here you are. Ready? That's you. Now, I want you to stop and think of all the relationships in your life. Well, you got work, don't you? Work's a relationship. I mean, I mean, you work with people. There's all kinds. You got this friends, I mean, in general, all kinds of friends. Not only that, you have hobbies where you got some, some people you meet, and you got to connect with whether it's hunting, bowling, whatever you do, you know, softball. You've got that going on. You've got uh, church. You know, that's, that's a bunch of relationships. You got a mate, if, you know, if you're married, a husband, wife. You got kids, you know, children over here. That's another whole world of relationships. You know, you got neighbors because the pastor tells you, meet your neighbor, spend time with them so you can share Jesus. So that's, well, that's another relationship I got to get. What else? Well, you got, you know, extended family. You know, you got uncles, aunts, you know, brothers, sisters, grandma. And you look at that and you say, well, let's see, you know, how many, nine or so in there? You know, I can handle that. I can manage that many relationships. <laughs> Doesn't work that way, though, does it? Because you know what happens? Each of these, before you know it, are universe within themselves, aren't they? You know? And you can't manage them. So let me show you. I need a volunteer. Come on, who's up here? Who's going to volunteer? You got to get up. Come on up, dude. Hey. Come on up. Come, hey, hurry. We're, we got a margin deal going here, buddy. All right, come on. All right. All right, you know, right there. Now, stand there and hold that, because this is right over here, right there. All right. One, okay? Let's just pick one of these. Let's pick church. Where'd it go? Right here. We'll pick church. This is a relationship, right? Think about how this explodes on you into a whole universe. I mean, it's not just sitting there. Now, some of you just sit here and that's it. But some of you catch it a little better and do what? Well, you, you look at it and you say, you know what? I'm going to get a calm group going. I'm, I'm going to join calm group. And there's, you know what? 8, 10, 12, 15 people in a calm group I've got to relate to. You know, so there's a relationship going on. Over here, you say, what else do I got? Well, you know, you've got kids, possibly, that, and, and they go to Sunday school, and out of Sunday school comes all kinds of things. Parents from there, and the kids. I got, you know, if kids come over. The neighborhood, I mean, you got neighborhood kids that are friends, you know, that they, they take to, to school, uh, to church with them. You got school friends, you know, they're coming home with. They got sports teams that your kids, you know, play on. You got to know everybody's Name on the sports team. You don't want to, you know, if Herman's up to bat, you got to call the right name out or your kid's going to be embarrassed. So they got all that. And if they play one sport, you know, they got other sports probably. So you got all these kids and they all got parents and you got to get together with them once in a while. And then, you know, it just goes on. You got scouts possibly. Maybe your kid's in uh, something else, art. And they got, they're in a dance class and they're in, uh, you know, music. So all of a sudden, this one little thing in church, and I lost track here where I was, it explodes, okay? 
I actually jumped toward your kid's life there. Uh, but your church life has many things. Blowing that one good. I'm glad we taped the first service. Here we go. Second one. Ready? Come on up here. You hold this. Quickly. I'm going I have a fleeting life. Okay. There we go. What's your name? Mark. Who? Mark. Now we're going to have to have a relationship, aren't we? <laughs> here we go. I got another one put on my list. Okay. Now let's get back to your child where I should have been. I don't know. I lost that one today. Here we go. Your child. You got two? Some of you? That's not too bad, is it? I mean, you can go man-to-man defense there, can't you? <laughs> but some of you, you know, like, like, like the Fortunes and the Cobbs, I mean, they got like eight. We're talking zone defense now, so we're talking here. We're not going to make it, you know, there. So, you know, it's not just a couple kids now. You know, you're, you're in there. And then all the things we've been talking about, they all have arenas of, uh, of their lives, whether it's the scouts, you know, and they just go all the way around. And so your child now causes you to have all kinds of uh, circles of universe, their friends, their school. And now we got that going. Let's do one more. I need another volunteer. Who's come on that? These junior high kids are better than high school kids were. Come on up. Some of you who volunteered first. All right. There we go. What's your name? Abby. What grade are you in? Eighth. We'll have to get coffee or something. You know, now we have a relationship. All right. So here we go. Friends. Okay, here we go. You see, friends was just up here. But it's really not up there, is it? Because now friends are going to explode on you when you stop to think about it. Let's go back. Where are they? Well, they're at work. They want to go out. and Let's do a couple things together. And then after that, you know, we got the neighbors. And, you know, we're going to go over there in this friendship world. And then what else? We got, you know, here we go. You ready? <laughs> Facebook. <laughs> oh, yeah. Those are some deep friends right there. Facebook. <laughs> okay, time out. I got to talk about this. So, you, all right, here we go. All right, I was on Facebook at one time. Remember that, some of you? Because, you know, because some of you kept on be your friend. I said, I don't want to be your friend. And uh, <laughs> I went on for two weeks. My son set me up, put all kinds of pictures, info, and all the junk. Two weeks later, I said, I ain't getting, this is crazy. Because a lot of you want to be my friend. And I didn't have time to say yes or no. So I went off Facebook, but, and don't start bugging me again. I went back on the other day. I want to see what my son's doing, because he has 1,900 friends. <laughs> 1,900 Facebook friends, all right? So I just went on for, to go 30 seconds, see what he and, and, you know, what he's doing. Look at the wall for a minute. That's it. But you know what? You've got Facebook friends. You've got NFL. Twitter friends. And you tweet and toot and everything else you do with them, you know? <laughs> and then you've got the people you text with. Some of you are going to die because your thumbs are going to go out one of these days, you know, because you... And so you, you got those friends. And then some of you got high school friends and college friends that now, because of Facebook, they're calling you. <laughs> I'm getting emails twice a week now to come to our 45th high school reunion in July back to Albuquerque. I didn't know any of those people then. If they didn't play on the football team, I didn't know them. And I didn't like them then. Why would I like them 45 years later? <laughs> when they're all old and they're barely getting around. I mean, mercy. You know, but some of you, I got to go see my high school friends. You know, 
college and off you, you know, now your whole life's exploding again to all these areas where you have all these friends, okay? Starts here. Church develops you. Your kids develop you. You're married. <laughs> your friends, all of a sudden, do you understand what I'm talking about? People overload? Give these kids a hand. You guys did a great job. We'll all get coffee, all right? All right, yeah, yeah. Put me on your Facebook. Twitter me or something. I'll toot and get that over with. All right, here it is. Some of you are just sociable by nature. You love to talk, right? And you like that, and everybody likes you and you like everybody. See, isn't it good being me? Nobody likes me, you know? And you never meet a stranger. Everybody I meet, I think, is strange. You know, like, oh, that guy's strange. All right? So you go to the grocery store, and you're standing in line at Walmart. Somebody pulls their cart up to you, and you start talking. Five minutes later, while you're waiting, like, whoa, that's, that's Facebook, okay? Let's get, you know, ooh, that's a new friend. Friend, you just talked to him for five minutes. Some of you just keep loading and loading, you know. Your Facebook gets bigger, and, you know. And, you're, and you know what some of you need to do like that? You just need to say, you know what? I like you. I know we want to know each other five minutes. I think you're charming. I think you're, you know, you're cool. You'd be interested in me, fun. But you know what? I'm not hiring right now, okay? <laughs> no more friends. It was nice to talk to you. Because you're overloaded with people. I know that sounds weird, but you know, that's really what's happening, isn't it? Overloaded, responsibility, overloaded with people. We're overloaded, uh, technology and entertainment. Let's put those two down real quickly because of our time. Entertainment and technology, I mean, you know that. I mean, you finally get one night, guys. Get a break, and what do you do? Honey. Date night, we got a night. And what do you do? You go to a movie. <laughs> that's real interaction there, isn't it? I mean, that's a lot of relationship going on, a lot of talk. I have a brother, some of you know that he lives in Denton, my older brother. And when I moved here five years ago, it was our agreement that we'd get together once a month go out and be together, our, our wives, and we'd all do that. So it doesn't happen all the time. We get about six, seven times, we hit it pretty good. He's busy and I'm busy, but we do it. The first three times we went, I forgot that he's a movie holic. And every Friday night, no matter what, he goes to a movie, he and his wife. So we met on Friday night. What do we do? We go to the movie. But, the, you know, we upgraded the next time. There's a place in Denton where you can actually have dinner while you watch the movie, you know. And after about the third time, I realized, I'm driving 45 minutes to watch a stupid movie, and I'm supposed to be talking to my brother. So I said, Jim, time out. No more movies. If I'm going to drive 45 minutes to Denton, we're going to go out to eat, and we're going to sit and talk. You know, we don't do a lot of interaction during entertainment time. Technology, you know that. I don't have to explain this one to you. Most of you have your face in your computer and in your Facebook and in your iPhone more than you ever have your face in front of your kids or your mate or people. We have this thing called social networking, don't we? Which really amounts to zero when it comes to deep relationships. Now, I don't mind your Facebook. You know, you can do that. I don't, you know, all that. I'm just saying, when we rely and say, oh, it's social networking. No, it's not. We've got quantity of relationships with no quality. Shallow. And some of you wonder why you're lonely. 
Because you don't have a picking relationship outside of a shallow relationship. Nobody's accountable. So here's the second thing. God created for a relationship, and God created us for rhythm. All right, here's the cliff notes. You ready? Genesis chapter 1. Here it is. You read that. It says that God created the heavens and the earth, and he starts to detail the creation. And he says he put light, a brighter light for day, a softer light for night, created the evening and the day, the night and the day. He created this thing of rhythm, that there'd be night and day. And then if you keep reading in, in the next verses, 14 to 16, he says there's a rhythm of a weekly rhythm that, that became the weeks, and out of that became the years and the seasons. And so God created rhythm within creation, which meant that he was really giving us a pattern how we should live. But we're very smart today, aren't we? And we think we're smarter than God, so we don't follow that rhythm. Because, see, that rhythm followed all the way from night and day to when you get into Exodus chapter 20, he says, look, in the busyness of everything, remember that I'm the Lord your God, create no idols, take not my name in vain, and we're going to remind you that by one day a week, make it holy, set it aside. We call it the Sabbath in Jewish tradition. And it says that God did that after creating the earth in six days. He took a Sabbath. He rested because he was tired. <laughs> the inexhaustible God, you think God said, man, that was a bad week. I'm going to take a kick back today. No, God wasn't exhausted. He didn't even perspire. Just spoke it in existence. What did he do it for? He did it to set a principle and a pattern for us to follow, he says. So you would know how I did it. You do the same. And then he not only put it into weeks, but he put it in years that every seventh year, he told the Jewish people, rest your crops. Work them for six years. Let them rest. We're creating rhythm in our lives. And he says that's the way to be. We called it last week out of Randy Frazee's book. I've told you to go out and buy if you really want to get it. It's called the Hebrew day timer. Look at it up here. Here's what it looks like. That in that Hebrew day timer, there are three major things. Relationships, rest, and responsibility. So this is how it worked in a Jewish tradition. Six o'clock in a Jewish calendar, that's when the day starts. And they start with relationships. And then somewhere around 10, they would go to bed. And they would rest because that's the second activity of our life. That's very important. And then to create that rhythm, God wants us to have responsibilities. So somewhere around early morning when the light come up, they would start to move to work. And they would work till it got dark. And at dark, it stopped. Everything stopped. And they'd go home. And guess what? There was no TV. Nothing going on. So they'd talk. They'd all have dinner. They would work together. You know, for some hours. Then they'd all rest. And the whole family would do that. I mean, mom wasn't running around all over the hills crazy, you know, throwing kids on her donkey, trying to get them to slingshot practice, you know, or, or going to, to sheep shearing lessons. You know, I mean, it was like, you know, no. We just go home. We learned, you did all that during the daytime. Now we're home and we talk. Let me ask you a question. What would it be like in your home that's a few nights a week you unplugged the TV, got it all quiet, and you had four hours with your family. What would it be like? You say, spooky. <laughs> Could be bizarre. Could be a war zone. Yeah, because that's what they're used to. You say, what would they do during those four hours? They would eat. Kids would learn how to cook. They would talk. They would talk about God. 
and kids would learn about God from mom and dad. And they'd hear the stories of their family, grandfathers. All they'd hear the story about Moses. And they'd hear all the stories of their tradition, and it would be carried on. And the kids would learn about family and God from mom and dad. And today, we send our kids to Sunday school or the Christian school or church, and we expect those people to teach them about God. And then when the kids go south, we look at the school, we look at the youth director, we look at the children's and say, it's your fault. No, it's your fault. Because that's not our job. Our job is just to put the cherry on top of what you've been teaching them. But in the rhythm, we've lost that. I want to tell you how it came really hard-hitting to me. Some of you remember when I first moved here. Some of you have been here that long, five years ago. I brought my dad with me, 85 years old, on his last bout with cancer. We chose to let him finish his last few weeks at our house, in his bed, in a bedroom that we had provided for him. Billy would stay with him all day. I'd get home in the evening, and I'd stay with him all night. I'd sit by his bed, do all the things that needed to be done. Each day I sat there, of course, he's getting less and less cognizant, less and less words. And as I got to the last couple of days where he wasn't even talking, I flashed back to about a few years earlier, the same scenario with my mother. And I remember the last night of my mother's life, it was just me and her. I remember her last breath. And I held her in my arms. And now it's coming to those same days with my dad. And I remember that last moment with my dad in my bedroom. I'm holding his hand. It goes off into eternity. And that's when it all fell on me. I love my dad. I love my mom. They got to know Jesus out of drunkards' lives, and their lives changed. But I realized as I held both of them, especially my dad, it came so close. I don't even know who he is. I never heard a story about his childhood. We never talked about what happened in high school. I never met my grandparents. I don't know a thing. About the man who loved me and I loved him. I said, God, why didn't you tell me to stay home? Dad, why didn't you say, don't go to ball practice so many days, don't go to work, don't go down this church, stay home. And he didn't, and my mom didn't. And at the end of life, at the end of your days, I realized what was so important. I don't know a thing about the people I loved. That's what they did in those four hours every night. They told the stories. Assignment, you ready? Take home. Everybody focus. I want you, this is, I'm going to ask you next week. If you can't do it this week, do it the next week. But you, all of you, some form or fashion, I'm going to challenge you to have a true Sabbath. Got it? I, I said it Friday night last service, and someone said, well, Friday night, I can't. Well, I, pff, do it some other night, okay? I would suggest Friday night because most of you have Saturday off. So this is how it be. I want you to practice a true Sabbath and maybe start to make this a practice once in a while, a couple times a month. You say, what's it like? We're going to do a Jewish Sabbath. And you say, how does that look? Well, they would start the Sabbath at 6 o'clock on Friday. Okay? Everybody. So I suggest Friday. Students are like, Friday? 
Spend with my folks? <laughs> yeah, get over it. They're your parents. It's stupid. All right. <laughs> afraid you're going to hurt your feelings? No, I'm afraid I won't hurt their feelings. Here we go. You say, six o'clock, kids, everybody's home. And you do what the Jews did. They had in their tradition what we call a Sabbath box. The rest box. So they would come home, and, t- and symbolically and literally, they would put things in that box that represented weight, hurt, you know, and they would lock them for the Sabbath. So how would that look? Well, we would come home, you know, and we would take this, and we would put it in our Sabbath. <laughs> it would go in there. We'd take our PDA, PDAs, we'd take our iPods, anything electronic. We'd take our little, little precious iPhones. We'd put it in there, lock them, turn them off for 24 hours. <laughs> yeah. You say, but, you know, what if somebody calls? They'll call back. Well, what if Granny dies? She's dead. <laughs> what are you going to do? She's on ice. I mean, you can see her Saturday night. I mean, if she's dead, she's dead. What do you th- I mean, she's not going to know. You're having the Sabbath. All right? It all goes in the box, and it's locked 24 hours, turned off. You say, my job won't allow me. Get a better job. If I get a different job, I'll have to downsize. <laughs> oh, what's most important? Family? Or job? Things or relationships? So we're going to lock it all down for 24 hours on Friday night. And then you say, what are we going to do? Well, you're going to have preceded that. Mom's going to go or somebody's going to go shopping. You're going to bring home all the groceries because you're going to start, as they did, with a great meal. Now you say, I'm single. (laughs) Who am I going to? Get all your single friends together. Have your own Sabbath together. You know, sleepover. Be sure there's more than one person there, okay? I mean, you know. You got that figured out? All right. We're going to have a group time, all right? So, you say, what are we going to do? Well, you're going to fix a meal. That's what you're going to do. And you're going to get the kids around. They're all going to get involved. The TV's off. All the noise is gone. You say, what are the kids going to They're going to have you fix the meal. You're going to actually pull out and fix the salad, you see? Not one of these. Okay? No. You're going to actually say, Johnny, this is called lettuce. You see? And Johnny, we're going to make a salad out of this. And he's going to say, oh, Mom, I saw that in the hamburger at McDonald's. It's called lettuce. And you make your salad, see? And Johnny gets to break it and wash it. And then what? You're going to say, well, Johnny, can you slice that tomato? That's a tomato? They come like that? Yeah, Johnny, they come really like that. Oh, Mom, and you're going to put it in there. And, uh, you know, and you're going to make dinner. And you're going to take your time. You're going to actually bake cookies, not slice and bake. You know, you're going to actually, hey, Mary, this is called flour. And that's sugar, and you're going to put it all together and put them in the oven. And you're just going to, you know, relax. Somebody's going to be setting the table, huh? The dining room table. 
You see, in, in biblical times, they actually sat around a table, and they did at that table what you do in your cars, eat. <laughs> and, you know, and we'd all eat, and everybody would talk, and Dad, you would share the Word of God. You would pray together, talk about their lives, talk about church. And, you know, four or five hours later, you put all the kids to bed. Give them Valium. Get them down good. Because, see, the rest of the Sabbath, this is the best part. It's for you and Mom. Say, so what do we do? <laughs> you go to the bedroom. Yeah? You lock the door. Go back and give them some more Valium. You run the bath. You get the suds. You burn the candles. You get the VS. What's VS? Victoria's Secrets. <laughs> and you have sex. Did he say sex? Yeah. I'm coming back to this church. I don't really like this. It's a cool church. What? Hey, give me a car. I'm going to join right today. All right? <laughs> and you guys are going to fall asleep after talk and good sex. And next morning you guys sleep in. Everybody's going to get up. Sabbath is still on because it goes from six to when? Six. And what are you going to do? You're going to fix breakfast. <laughs> yeah. It's not in a box with cold milk. You know? You go, say, kids, this is fruit. This is a banana. And we're going to, you, you guys start slicing the banana, you know? Somebody, this is an apple. You're going to slice the apple. Some, oh, you go, make some, Johnny, you're going to learn how to make pancake mix over there. We're going to get the pancakes going. We're going to have some eggs, you know? And, whoops. And uh, <laughs> we're going to, we're going to ha have some eggs and, we're going to, you know, have a slow breakfast, you see. And then after breakfast, you're not going to worry about the dishes because it's the what? Sabbath. Now, that would kill my wife, but, you know, she'll have to get over it. That we're not going to actually clean up right now. So you just put pile it all up because it's the Sabbath. You're resting. And you all go for a walk. Take the dog. Come back, fix some sandwiches. Picnic, go out to the park in the afternoon. Picnic, go down the river, go to the lake. You all just hang. At 6 o'clock, you might be surprised. You might realize, hey, I didn't realize I have a sister in the house. Yeah, that's your sister. <laughs> yeah. You see, it's called a Sabbath rest. Okay? Because that's how you build relations. You say, that's totally impossible. Make it possible. I, would, I know we're living in this fast-paced lie, but I would say... It would change your family if you did that a couple times a month. You say, I can't do it on Friday because of this. We'll do it on Saturday. Well, what about church? Forget church. Just send your tithe in. <laughs> All right? Do it on a Saturday to Sunday. I don't care. Because it's the only thing that's going to last. The bully, the job, portfolio, none of that's going to last. That will last for eternity. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. For more information, feel free to visit our website at shermanbible.com or call anytime during our office hours, Monday through Friday, 9 to 5 p.m. at 903-893-7795.